Um, so life is a collection of waiting periods. Nine months of waiting to meet the baby, waiting to meet a spouse, waiting on a job offer, waiting for a physical breakthrough, waiting on a wayward child to come back home. I'm betting most of us in this room right now are all waiting on something. While we sit in the fruition of previously answered prayers, we now find ourselves yet again in the middle, yet again waiting on the Lord. The tendency in these times is to want to find that fast forward button, skip to the good part. Even as I was typing out these words, the message stirring but not yet ripe in my heart, I wanted to find that fast forward button to get to the part where all the pieces click. But what if the middle, what if the waiting, what if the in-between is the good stuff? What if this is the good part? What if it's in the waiting that the good, important work is truly done? I want to talk about the middle today. You know, that time between promise and answer, heartbreak and healing. But instead of taking the typical podium to people, preaching, passionate approach, I want today to feel more like sitting around a campfire. Lately, that's been Josh and I's point of connection. After we tuck the kids snug in their beds, we throw on sweats and we go outside and sit side by side by a bonfire. We watch the flames dance and then we talk. Um, it's become my favorite part of the day. We sit, we talk about all sorts of things. That funny thing that Nellie did today, the altar call last Sunday, the meeting that we need to set up, the thoughts and the questions that came up in our Bible reading that morning, whatever, anything is game. I always walk away from that time feeling known, encouraged, and connected. So today, I invite you to our metaphorical bonfire. Here we're gonna swap stories, and I hope that we all walk away feeling known, encouraged, and connected. I wanna now weave through three stories, Thomas, me, and you. We're gonna step into each narrative and walk imaginatively through these stories. And along the way, I want us to be attuned to what the Spirit of God is showing us. We're gonna walk through these stories in stages. The beginning, the middle, and the breakthrough. Not the end, because life often, is, the end uh, is just the next beginning. We're never truly done with the middle. Okay, stage one, the beginning. Leading up to every waiting period is the whisperings of a promise or the rising of a central question. Discerning just what that is is so important. Because look, there's two ways to wade through the middle, with vision or without. And let me tell you what Proverbs has to say about that. Proverbs 29:18 says, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. Another version says, people who lack vision perish, but whoever obeys the law is joyful. Imagine with me, if you will, a, leader, a little leaguer running the bases. If he understands where he's going, he will run in order from base to base with purpose and with singular focus. But now, imagine the crazed toddler who just wants to be a part of the game, running haphazardly around the field after every gnat or butterfly, running in the wrong direction, maybe. That's at least what came to my mind when I read, they run wild. 
Living life without divine guidance, like a prophetic word, biblical outlook, sense from the Holy Spirit, it's much like running around like that crazed toddler. But then it says, but whoever obeys the law is joyful. When we look to the Bible as a guide for how to plan our steps, how to navigate this season, how to parent, how to be an employee, how to control our tongue, how to be wise with our finances, how to steward our gifts, we're joyful. I kind of see this like the inner clarity and peace that comes when you have a defined purpose. Often going into a season of waiting, there is something that God is wanting to grow in us or reveal to us, and it's up to us to be attentive to what that is. If you like alliteration like I do, I'm going to give you three L's. Lean, listen, and live. In the beginning of the middle, well, that sounds a little confusing, but going into the middle, we take a posture of leaning, resting in him, relying on him for strength, sitting with him, quieting yourself before him, leaning on him. Then, once you're leaned in, it's a little easier to hear. This is when we listen. Is God whispering something to your heart? Is there a scripture that's really jumping out to you? Is there a pull on your heart to do something? Listen, and then live it out. We have our mountaintop moments. It's those moments when God feels so close. Life seems at peace. Things are going well and everything is easy. But every mountaintop experience is followed by ascending out. You know, when Moses was on the mountain, he didn't get to stay on the mountain with God. He was sent out into a civil, chaotic situation. And he had to live out the directive that God gave him. The disciples, they got to be with Jesus and learn from him, but then they were sent out. While you are waiting, while you're stuck in the middle, what are you supposed to be walking out? What are you called to be faithful with? What is it that you are to be doing? Okay, let's talk about our first story, Thomas, also known as Didymus or the twin. So come with me to Jerusalem. Jesus just finished washing the disciples' feet, and he hits them with some heavy and sobering predictions. He says, I'm leaving soon. One of you is going to betray me. Oh, and Peter, you're going to deny me. Imagine you're sitting around this table with the disciples. Forget for a moment everything you know about Jesus' death and resurrection. Imagine that you just found the greatest teacher and friend. He's magnetic. He fills you with promise and hope and conviction, sometimes just confusion. You spend as much time with him as you can. You possibly dream of all the big and great things that you're going to do with him and he's going to do for you. He's so young. You have a whole lifetime ahead of you soaking up every word he speaks. And then he starts telling you some deeply troubling and confusing things. What do you mean, Jesus, you're going to die? Be betrayed. Feels like bad news. Your heart now seems to reside in the pit of your stomach. Your heart is troubled. Sit in that feeling for a moment. Really imagine yourself as one of the disciples. You don't have a Bible. You don't know for certain that Jesus is going to conquer the grave. Imagine yourself there with Jesus and continue to stay there as I read John 14, 1 through 7. This begins with Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. 
and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. Uh, no, we don't, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus' words had continued to confuse the disciples. He says, you know where I'm going. And Thomas is like, um, no, I don't. <laughs> I love his honesty. He's like, Jesus, what are you talking about? I have no idea where you're going. How could I possibly know the way to a place that I don't even know? Then Jesus responds in verse 6 saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Okay, pause. I want to clarify something really quick. Thomas is not yet in the middle. Jesus is hinting that it's coming. Thomas and the others are about to enter into a season of waiting, of confusion, and clouds. And Jesus is already speaking on what Thomas needs to understand. In case you missed it, it's in Jesus' response to Thomas. He says, if you had really known me, you would have known who the Father is. Hint, hint, Thomas, you do know him, and you've seen him. This is Thomas's beginning to the middle. His middle is going to be a time of grieving the Father, um, the Jesus' death. And the thing he must understand is that Jesus is God the Father. The Father God is Jesus. This wonderful magnetic teacher that he has been following is God incarnate. Thomas doesn't quite understand this yet. All right, let's tuck a bookmark there. This is Thomas's entrance into the middle. What's yours? What are the questions swirling unanswered in your mind in this season of waiting? What is the calloused part of your heart that's suddenly exposed? What is the unearthed gift or skill that God wants you to hone and practice? What aspect of his character is he wanting you to understand? What aspect of his character is he wanting to grow in you? What is it that you want to walk out of this season of waiting, have a, having a better understanding or experience with? Lean, listen, live it out. Like I said earlier, life is often a series of middles. With that said, I have a lot of stories, but we only have time for one, so I'm going to tell you about Josh and I's journey to finding our home. In 2016, two years into our marriage, Josh and I received a prophetic word that ended with the prophetess saying, I see a beautiful house with a piano. It is done. Amen. We put those words on the letterboard as a reminder of the promise. And at the time, we had a two-month-old baby. We had been hosting a group of young adults that would weekly squeeze into our tiny apartment. Uh, Josh and I both share a passion for hospitality. We love gathering around a table and handing a warm cup of coffee to a weary soul. So the promise of a house seemed fitting. Our apartment's dining room was so tiny that if you sat at one side of the table, be prepared to stay there for the rest of eternity because if you have to get up, everybody has to get up to let you out from that spot. 
If you want more water, a spoon, some chicken, do not move and make everybody get up. We'll get it for you. We knew that our time at the apartment had to have an expiration date. We felt God had called us to open up our home. We were doing our best to steward it well, but we were expecting that he would provide a way for us to host on a bigger scale. Simply put, we were outgrowing the space. So began house hunting. Fun for some, overwhelming for others, both if you're me. During this time, I, it was overwhelmed with the uh, largeness of this decision. And I was praying, God, how will we know? I want to be wise. This is a big decision. We're going to put a lot of our finances into this. How will we know when it's right? I leaned, and then I listened. And in my mind, I pictured myself standing in a kitchen looking at a sailboat. And then, for alliteration's sake, I left. We're called to Illinois, not Maine. What's with the sailboat? Oh, well. I shrugged, wrote it down, and forgot. So there was our entrance to the middle, the promise of a beautiful house with a piano and a possibly delusional mental image of a sailboat. <laughs> Entering into the middle isn't so bad at first. Then comes the middle middle. This is when it gets tough. This is when we are called to endure in the waiting. Okay, I know you're all dying to hear more about Thomas. So where were we? We left him confused with Jesus' words. Thomas hears Jesus' predictions, and then he's told not to be troubled. He needed to understand the way. The way is Jesus. Oh, and if he knew Jesus, he would know God. Got it? Thomas did it. He is promise, uh, processing, he's replaying Jesus' words in his mind, mulling them over, trying to make sense of it. He's likely still trying to make sense of everything when Jesus died. And it was a terrible death, wrought with ridicule, drawn out pain, no mercy. I bet that pierced Thomas's heart. And then Jesus was buried. I bet that felt pretty final. I bet that that hurt Thomas anew again. Can you imagine how all this felt for the days following Jesus' death? Usually this stage of grief leaves you numb, robotic, heavy. It's hard to get up. It's hard to follow routine. You're tempted to withdraw. And maybe Thomas did. You know, in John 20, 19, when Jesus appears to his disciples for the first time, Thomas was not there. Where do you think he was? Did he have other plans? Or was it possibly too painful to be with the people he walked beside Jesus with? It doesn't say, but it's a possibility. For whatever reason, he wasn't there at that first meeting. And this brings us to John 20, verses 24 and 25. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. You know, we give Thomas a lot of grief. We name him Doubting Thomas, but let's just slip into his sandals for a minute. He's trying to make sense of everything that's happening. Jesus is the most incredible leader he has ever followed. He spoke in a lot of confusing parables. He left a lot to be grappled with. He alludes to leaving and coming back for them, but where is he going? When? Is he scoping out the desert? What's the plan? 
I don't think it occurred to Thomas that Jesus' plan was to die. Death felt too final. It felt so static, so heavy, so immovable. Surely this was never the plan. His hope was completely crushed. His heart shattered. And now the rest of the disciples are telling Thomas that Jesus is back? His aching heart was probably too hesitant to hope. He was probably afraid of being hurt again. So he throws a wall up. I think it was self-preservation. I can't get hurt if I don't open myself up to that possibility. I know that feeling. Pain can lead us to do illogical things. We all handle it differently. Some of us build a fortress around our broken hearts as a way to protect it from any further heartbreak. Some of us roll up our sleeves and decide that the best and only way is to never depend on anyone again. We tighten our fists of control over our lives out of fear of being let down or hurt again. And this is how I see Thomas, hurt, afraid to hope, walled up, trying to control his life so that he cannot get hurt again. I think Thomas had a bent towards realism. He tended to see things plainly, calculated, logically. This is evident in John 11, when Jesus and the disciples, they hear of Lazarus. Jesus plainly tells them, Lazarus is not sleeping, he's dead. Then he's like, come on guys, you're about to see something amazing. And Thomas replies in verse 16 saying, let's go to and die with Jesus. What? Let's give some context to this statement. When Jesus had beckoned the disciples with a, let's go to Judea and see dead Lazarus, they responded in verse 8 saying, Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? The majority of the disciples are like, no way, bad idea, Jesus. Do you remember how just a few days ago they tried to kill you? Do you want to end up like Lazarus? But guys, Thomas is like, yeah, they're probably going to kill us. But uh, Jesus, if you're going, I'm going. He assessed the situation, decided this is a suicide mission. That's the reality, but whatever, let's go. You know, if I were Thomas, I would be so annoyed by the fact that what everyone remembers about me is that one time when I was in a deep state of pain that I had a hard time believing that Jesus came back. You know, uh, I know that he raised Lazarus from the dead, but I have a more of an emotional investment in Jesus. If I find out that you guys just found his doppelganger, <laughs> uh, I don't want to be crushed again. And that's all you can remember? What about that time I went with Jesus even though I was convinced I would die? But no, we remember Thomas for like, oh yeah, didn't miss the doubter. He didn't take the disciples' excitement as fact. But that's what disappointment, pain, and doubt can do to us. It can make the promise hazy and the current reality annoyingly clear. Thomas's pain made Jesus promise that he was coming back a distant, blurry memory. What was louder was his current pain. Um, and he put up a wall. This is often the effect of the middle passage. It feels like sledging through the mud. We may feel discouraged, and if we are not careful, our hope will disintegrate into disbelief. That's what happened to Thomas. Where are you in your middle? 
Has pain started building a wall around your heart? Do you have a hesitant stance like Thomas? We'll see. Or are you expectant? I'm not sure what you're doing, God, but we will see. This is when it's important to have the vision, to know the directive and call, to know what God has promised and to hold fast to it. Things might not be as they ought to be. Things might not look the way you were certain that they would. This is painful. Things might not be how we expect, and they often aren't. Thomas didn't expect for Jesus to die like that. That was not how he wanted things to work out. This is the part where we're called to be faithful to him, trusting in him, enduring, persevering. Romans 5, 1 through 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Our hope is not to end our suffering. Our hope comes at the end of suffering. We endure and our character is refined. And as our character is refined, hope rises. To return to Josh and I's house story, let's fast forward to 2019. This is three years after the initial promise. We now have a four-year-old, two-year-old, and we're expecting our third. The 900 square feet seems to keep closing in on us. We do our best to steward what we have. We hosted a family of five in this tiny apartment with our kids. And we just kept scrolling through that Realtor app, hoping for something to pop up. And in the meantime, we kept our door open and extra seats at the table. We go to open houses, and then we sleep trained a toddler a mere 10 feet away from his sister. <laughs> I look at the letterboard promise of a home, and it starts to feel distant. Will this ever happen? And then a house pops up. It's ripe with potential. It would need some work, but Josh and I felt up to the challenge. We excitedly went to see it and decided that we were ready to make an offer. We wait with bated breath for what felt like an eternity as we go back and forth in a negotiation process. Finally, it's settled. They accept an offer. A banner crosses the house in the app saying contingent, and I was elated. We spent hours dreaming of how we're going to redo the kitchen, arrange the living room, which kid will get what room. We got a house inspection. All is pretty good, except for the mold and radon. We slump a little bit, but decide to keep moving forward. And then the rug got pulled out from beneath our feet. The sellers abruptly backed out. Their realtor sent an email with words that haunted me. The deal is dead. Those words felt like a knife to the heart. It felt like the deal is dead, the dream is dead, 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 dead. Hurts compounded as our middle child suffered health concerns. Hard things were happening in the workplace. It all just felt dead. But here's the thing. Faith is something that can grow in the presence of pain. Our feelings don't have to detract from our faith. We can hold both. We can grieve with hope. 
Hebrews 11.1 1 defines faith, saying, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things that we cannot see. Faith is being convinced, certain, holding tight to what we can't even see. We can hold on to our faith as a reality of what we hope for, even when it doesn't look that way. I was crushed. I grieved and I was deeply pained, but God's promise to us did not waver. And we kept those words plastered on that board and in a prominent place. And guys, six months later, that house came back on the market. We made another offer. It was received and then pulled out again. Things did not look good, but we were able by the grace of God to hope against hope that God would remain faithful. We would see his promises come to pass. In the middle, it is okay to grieve. But every day we receive his mercies which are anew. We grab tight to his whispered promise and we get up and we keep going. We pull to the forefront of our mind our directive from God and we walk as one with vision. We stay faithful to him as he remains faithful to us. And in due time, it will come to pass. All right, let's get back to Thomas. He was responding to his friends saying, I will not believe it until I see it. Prove it. Not words really filled with faith and expectancy. Yet Jesus' grace and love extended past Thomas's unbelief. He came to Thomas and he met him right there in the middle of his doubt. Let's step into the scene on uh, John 20, 26. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Do not be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Guys, this is so important. Exclaiming, my Lord and my God, it's not just saying, wow, no way, look, it's you, oh my goodness. No, Thomas was confronted with a life-changing realization, and it ties back to John 14. Do you remember earlier, what was Jesus' promise to Thomas and the other disciples? What marked Thomas's entrance into the middle? He asked Jesus, how will we know the way? Jesus responds saying that if he knew him, they would know the Father. He was heavily hinting but did not outright say, I am God. And in this moment where Thomas is confronted with his unbelief, it hits him. My Lord and my God, Jesus, it was you all along. The power that raised Lazarus, the power that raised you, it's you, you. You are my Lord and my God. God is faithful to answer what he said he would reveal to Thomas, even though that's not what Thomas was expecting or necessarily wanting. Thomas probably wanted Jesus' promise to him to be like, I am here now and forever. We got many days ahead of us, buddy. But Jesus' promise was that Thomas would understand, and he did and he got to witness the miracle of Jesus reincarnate. But it still wasn't necessarily how Thomas wanted it to look. Jesus left again, and he was called back to heaven with his father, 
But what was his next promise? I will never leave you or forsake you. He gave them his Holy Spirit as a constant, accessible, holy companion that comes as close as close can get within us. And we have that same promise. Must we need anything more? How did the ending of your last waiting period look? How did you find God faithful? What maybe looked different than you, what you expected, but still has the grace of God all over it? God is faithful to his promises. And he remained faithful to Josh and I. After the pain of that final rejection of that house, Josh and I, with renewed hope, began to search again. Josh sent me a link one night when we were laying in bed, and I was tiredly just swiping through the pictures, and I suddenly got goosebumps up and down my arms. Each and every room in this house had a painting of a sailboat. I said, Josh, we have to see this house. Remember that random sailboat I saw when I was praying? I thought I was crazy, but look, this could really be it. And it was now nearly four years after receiving that initial prophetic promise, but the long stretch of time just seemed to evaporate as we walked into the kitchen of that home, and I saw the exact sailboat that danced in my mind all those years prior. And so this is, if you're standing in our kitchen, there it is, exactly what I saw in that vision. And um, Josh, when he was negotiating the contract, he asked that we could keep the sailboat, and they thought we were crazy. They're like, you want that Hobby Lobby picture? Sure. Okay. <laughs> and so we keep it there as a, as a reminder of God's faithfulness. You know, it didn't look how we expected. It took way longer. The process was way more painful. But the fruition was beautiful and timely and exactly what God had in mind. And in that middle, when we waited in pain, we learned faithfulness. And in the face of things not looking as we thought they should, we learned to hope. Yes, God did remain faithful to bring us the home that we dreamed of, but he did not waste an opportunity to grow us. Just as he's not wasting your opportunity in your middle either. Just as he didn't waste Thomas's opportunity to understand his deity and to teach him something about hope and faith. And the final question is, do we believe him? John 20, 29, then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Do we believe him without seeing? Do we see his goodness even when our hearts ache? Do we take his words as directives and help, him, help us to stay the path? Do we believe him? You know, right now I'm stuck in the middle of a trial. I've been waiting on the Lord for a breakthrough and when I was lamenting in prayer last week, I sensed that I was not to call out to be delivered from the middle, but instead to learn to walk with faithfulness through it. Can't go over it, can't go under it, gotta go through it. If I'm honest, there's a lot of days I don't want to go through it. I feel like Paul begging God to take this thorn from my flesh, but over the last week, it's been overwhelmingly confirmed to me in my own prayer and through friends that I am called to linger in the middle. I am to stay, to listen, to lean, and to live right here and now in the middle. 
I want out, but God has something different in mind. The question I am answering is, do I believe? God is faithful, and I believe he's going to come through for me. He will. And when he does, will he, he find me faithful? Did I come to this breakthrough point as a crazed and dazed toddler who haphazardly ran without restraint? Or did I arrive having stayed the course, having stewarded the things that he's given me to do, allowing his good work in me to be completed as I surrender my will and let it be conformed to his? 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead even though you must endure trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Please stand as I read this prayer over us today. As I stand here in the middle, as I watch the waters rise, it is upon my Jesus where I will fix my eyes. It is this moment that I am called to, to be here right now. So I won't numb it away, I won't run, I will bow. I'll steward what's in front of me, I'll be faithful to your call. And when I feel weak, you'll be mine all in all. When breakthrough has come, when I'm refined and you say that is all, on the mountaintop next, may you find me faithful.